as we invite God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we, we thank and praise you that you are present always, but we gather in this way to be reminded that you have given us a body in which to be a part of, that you are the head, and we believe that it is your voice that speaks through your word. As we open it up, God, we pray that you would speak to us deep into our heart and our soul and our mind, that we might be drawn closer to you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, if you would, open up the Bible that's in front of you or the one that you brought with you from home and turn with me um, to Luke chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible, take the one in front of you home. It's our gift to you. We want you to have it. Um, we're going to be in a familiar story, and we're going to be jumping around two different chapters. We're going to cover a lot of ground. So sometimes people are like, I don't need to take out the Bible. It's up on the screen. You do need to take out the Bible because we're going to be spending quite a bit of time in it this morning. So open up to Luke chapter 15, and our primary text is going to be a very familiar story. It's the story known as the prodigal son. And since it's so familiar, while you've got it in front of you, instead of just reading it, we're going to listen to the words, and we're going to watch it be illustrated here on the screen. Let's watch. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me start with a question. Have you ever felt worthless? Have you ever felt worthless? To answer the question, I looked up the di dictionary definition of the word worth. And the one that resonated most was this one. Worth is the value of something measured by its qualities or by the esteem in which it is held. I think if I asked you to raise your hand, we would say that we've all found ourselves in moments of time where we feel like we don't measure up in our own eyes or in the eyes of those around us. Maybe it's because you did something wrong. Maybe it's because you feel like you failed to do something right. Maybe it's because you don't believe that you have anything of quality to contribute I'm sure if we think back, we can all think of moments where we've felt worthless, and I trust that there's even some of us right now that are feeling that way. And, and if that's you, I don't want you to wait until the end of this sermon for me to tell you. You can, you can take this. This is the conclusion. You are of infinite worth. There could not be anything less true than the voice in your head that tells you that you are not. You are worth so much, of infinite worth to God and, I trust, to the people around you. But I also know that it isn't always that easy to let that internalize. And so my prayer is that this familiar reading today, God will use to show us, to show you and me both, just how much we are worth in the eyes of a heavenly father who loves us. Today's the fourth Sunday in our series we're calling Seasons. We're moving through the Gospel of Luke and we're looking at different seasons of life and we're seeing the way in which Jesus' hope is brought to bear, the good news, the gospel, in every season we face. And so the first week we talked about childhood. Last week we talked about the rich young ruler. And today we're looking at two adult sons through the eyes of a father who sees them of infinite worth. 
And yet the way both of them come to see themselves the way the Father sees them could not be more different. And to help us out, it's always helpful to look at the context. And we're going to look at quite a bit of context, which is why I want you to have your Bible open in front of you. The first thing I want to show you is the people that are sitting around while Jesus is telling this story. And so if you look at the beginning of chapter 15, we'll see who they are in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now let's put it in context here. The the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're like the elder son that we just learned about in the story. And the tax collectors and the sinners are like the younger son, the prodigal, the wayward. And the older son figures, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have a problem with Jesus dining with sinners. And to see the reason why, you got to go back to chapter 14, and you'll see in chapter 14 that these are not the only people that Jesus was willing to eat with. Actually, he had had a meal at the home of a prominent Pharisee. And to be a Pharisee, to be a religious teacher in the context that we're reading right now, was to believe that your value and worth was directly correlated to how well you follow the rules. Or at least it was how well you make other people think you're following the rules. And if you think you can uh, relate to that, how many of you here have a Facebook or an Instagram account? Show of hands. You have been the elder son. You've been the Pharisee. You've been the rule follower. You have seen your value and worth as it relates to what people see your image as on the outside. And so that's who these people are. And Jesus is sitting, again, chapter 14, he's sitting with a a prominent Pharisee and others at his house. And he tells this peculiar story about the family of God and the kingdom of God. And he calls it a great banquet. And he suggests that it's like a man who calls a great party and he tells all the most prominent figures in the community to come and eat with him. But all of them reject the invitation. And they reject it for all sorts of different reasons. They've got all kinds of excuses. And so then the invitation ends up going out to just anybody, right? Because we've got cake and we've got food and we've got all of this. And everybody else starts coming. People off the streets, questionable folk. And they all come and there's still room for more. It's an interesting story when you're sitting in the home of a Pharisee. An interesting story to sit in the home of those who are the rule followers at an invitation-only dinner. And so that happened in chapter 14, and then we get to chapter 15 today, and Jesus again is eating, and this time he's eating with sinners. He's eating with the younger son types, and he's not just eating with them. If you look at these verses, what you'll see in welcoming them, even just in sharing a meal, I imagine it to be like if you walked into a restaurant and you saw somebody you knew sitting in a booth with somebody else that you know, but you did not know that they knew each other, suddenly you're going to see them and go, wow, there's a relationship going on there that I didn't know about, right? They must be closer than I thought. They must enjoy one another's company. That's why they're going out to eat. Jesus enjoyed the company 
of sinners. He sat with them. I imagine he's cracking jokes and passing the wine and the dinner rolls. I imagine he's even the kind of person that sits around the table and says, hey, did you, did you not order the fish? Do you want to taste mine? Here, just take your fork and eat it. And I imagine that Jesus did that because I imagine that Jesus is better than me because I think that's gross. But Jesus... <laughs> He was doing this, and he was doing it with sinners. And, and so the Pharisees, the rule followers that sanitize their hands all the time, right? Like, these guys are watching this, and they're like, this doesn't make sense. These are not the kind of people that a guy like Jesus should be with. These are people who, on the outside, are worthless. People that the world says are worthless. People who probably have a voice inside their own head telling them, they're worthless. And so Jesus tells three stories, three stories in a row about heaven and the kingdom of God. If you want to understand the way that heaven and the kingdom of God work, he tells these three stories right after another to the sinners sitting with him, but also to the elder sons, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are listening. And every story is about something that was lost. And with each story, it seems to appear that the thing that is lost is worth less than the thing before it. And in each of these stories, there's things that anybody that list, was listening would understand the value of losing. The first one, for example, is, is the lost sheep. You've heard this before, right? To summarize, Jesus says, doesn't a sheep who has a hundred sheep, or doesn't a shepherd who has a hundred sheep run after the one that's lost, leave the 99 behind, and when he finds that lost sheep, throw it on his shoulders, run back home, and throw a party. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't know if any, anybody here, show of hands, we had a farmer in the last service. Any farmers here? All right, all our farmers because they get up early, right? So at the 8 o'clock, this preaches a lot different than it does at the 930 because we have farmers. So I'm looking at Gary Ellsworth who is sitting right here. And I said, you could appreciate the value of a lost livestock, right? Like, like a cow or a pig or a sheep. And a couple of years ago, I was preaching on this passage and I decided to look into what does it cost today? What is, what is one sheep worth to a farmer that has a flock of sheep? And, and they actually, they've done research on it, and they've put it together. One sheep today, this is before inflation, <laughs> one sheep today is worth $300 to that farmer. And so you multiply that out by all of their sheep. If you lost $300, if your $300 just started walking away, blowing in the wind, would you chase $300? Yes. We would chase three in a row. And that's not, that doesn't even take into consideration the overhead cost and all of the different things that would go into this. And so Jesus says that, that like a shepherd that goes and chases after the sheep and takes it home and throws a party, it's not about the sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, when somebody is feeling lost and worthless, it is in that precise moment when they are the sheep that has gone astray that they are of such infinite value and worth that when they turn back and come to the flock, heaven throws a party when just one comes back home. And you have to remember who's hearing the story, right? Who's sitting down at the dinner table? These are sinners. These are lost sheep. 
And so you ask yourself, why does Jesus associate with these people? And I think about it, and I think, man, Jesus came from heaven. And so if Jesus came down from heaven, he knows what starts a party in heaven. And it's not all the people pretending to follow the rules. It's sinners coming back to God. That's what throws parties. And so he's hanging out with these people because these are his people. And it's not just because they're sinners, but it's because he has called them to repent. They're such, of such great value. He's come down from heaven to call them to repent. And I say this every time the word repent comes up. When I hear the word repent, I get a little uneasy. Is anybody, anybody here with me? Do you get a little uneasy? I think about there's this guy every time I go to a Brewers game, all summer long, every time I go and I pull and I just think of the Brewers, they're everywhere, right? But, but when I go to the Brewers game, there's this one guy, he's always standing on the side of the road where you pull into the parking area and he's holding a sign and it says, repent. Has anybody seen this guy? Repent. And so when I hear that word, I think of that guy. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. And he's not wrong, but to repent is really, in the context here, it's, it's to say yes to the great banquet. It's to say yes to the invitation. To repent is to turn from sin. It's to turn from our mistakes. It's to turn from the wayward life. It's to turn from whatever voices are telling you you're worthless and face the one who tells you you are worth everything. The one who lavishes you with love and forgiveness and grace. The one who even lets you eat off his plate. <laughs> That's what it means to repent. And just like sheep, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need the help of a good shepherd who chases me down when I am wayward and picks me up and throws me over his shoulders and takes me back home. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's what he came to do. And the reason he came to do it is because sheep are not cheap. Sheep are not cheap. But here's the thing. Neither are people. And this story is not about sheep. This story is about people. And so he goes on to a second illustration. There's three, right? The third one is the story of the two sons. The first one is the sheep. The second one is about a lost coin. And you, let me just read to you the first couple verses here. You can just listen. He says, what about a woman having ten silver coins... She loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Now, in Jesus' day, coin to me sounds like a penny or a nickel, but that's not what it's describing here. A coin would have been the value of one day's worth of labor wages. And so let's just say 15 bucks an hour, eight hours, let's say this is a $120 coin. If you lost $120 cash in your house, how many of you would spend more than five minutes looking for it? Who took my money, right? right? You'd be looking everywhere, and if you finally found it, and you're having a conversation with your friend, or maybe your parents don't live near here, and so you're checking in on Sunday, and you're filling them in on the week, you're going to say, you never believe it. I lost 120 bucks, and I found it under the couch. I'm so glad that I found it, right? You would look for it. Jesus says this. He says, in the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, the angels of God, over one sinner who 
repents. There's that word again, repents. Now, what is a sinner? A sinner is a sheep. A sinner is a coin. But the question we're asking today is, what if you feel worth even less than a sheep or a coin? That's the story that Jesus tells last. He, he tells the story about something that on the outside looks to be worth nothing. And that something is not a thing, it's actually a person. And it's not a person, it's a son. And that sounds pretty harsh, but that's the way the story goes. Verse 11, Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. We start with the younger son. There's two sons in the story. Don't let the heading in your Bible that wasn't there in the beginning mislead you. There are two sons. And so we start with the younger son. He's the sinner. He's the prodigal. He's the one Jesus invites to dinner. He's the one who says to his dad, I want my inheritance now. And you don't need to be a biblical history scholar to know what generally has to happen to a father before his son receives his share of the inheritance. Anybody, what has to happen to dad? He's got to die, right? He's got to die. And make no mistake, this younger son is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. I want that so that I can leave. And in all practical aspects of life, you're going to be as good as dead to me. I'm going to go to another country. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to leave. Can you imagine saying that to your father? Can you imagine your child saying that to you? Does it not make you cringe? But then I think, man, there's so many things over the years that I've said to my parents or people have said to me that make me cringe too. And so maybe, maybe I can relate to this more than I realize. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21 is actually alluded in this story. It says this, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. And we're going to see that play out. But, but what I found interesting as I was studying this week is we're also going to see the proverb right before this one play out. It says this, if somebody curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. This younger son is essentially living out both of these Proverbs, by asking for his inheritance early, he is wishing his father dead. He is cursing his dad. And in an act that's even more outrageous than anything we've said before, what we see here is a father who gives it to him. He takes out the checkbook. He writes the check. He does the opposite of what the proverb says. To snuff out literally means to kill him. And in Jesus' day, this son could be killed by his father, if not literally killed, kicked out, disowned as a son. A son who has done such a thing to his dad would be considered by the world around him worthless. And so what's crazy here is clearly that is not the case for this father. Clearly he does not see his son as worthless, even at his lowest moment. And so the father gives the son what he asked for. And it says in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, say it with me, squandered it. I should read what it says on the screen if I want you to read it with me. Squandered his wealth in wild living. Now what is wild living? 
Wild living is anything that you can imagine. Drugs, prostitutes, gambling, wasteful material possessions, spending money on Green Bay Packers tickets this year. Amen? I mean, I, that's a unifying comment. Like, you guys, some of you don't even know I'm a Bears fan, and I said that, right? But, like, it's, it's relatable. And so you look. A lost sheep is worth what? $300, right? A lost coin is worth $120. What is a prodigal son worth? At this point in the story, what is a prodigal son worth? He's worth a, he's a liability. That's what he is. He comes with a negative net worth. And what we're going to learn is that as he comes to his senses, what he feels, in his words, not mine, is worthless. And that's where I started with the question, have you ever felt worthless? Because this man has too. We've all been there in that particular place. I was there. Sometimes God gives me an illustration to share with you. Sometimes he gives it to me the day before I preach a sermon. And that's what happened this week. It's a small thing, but I, it happened, and I was like, this is exactly what's going on. Just yesterday morning, um, my wife, Alyssa, and I, we got up. We were getting up a little bit late. Our oldest son, Jacob, he had basketball practice at 9 a.m., and I had a full day's work ahead of me. And so Alyssa was going to take all the kids. We've got five kids. She was going to put them all in the van, and she was going to drop them off at basketball practice. I said, nope, I know I got a lot going on, but I will take them to basketball. Then you don't have to cart all the kids. I will take care of that. Well, I bit off more than I could chew. I ended up leaving the house late. It really, I would have been on time. But we got stuck behind a slow driver. I'm telling you, I have to be careful because maybe it was you. So I don't want to offend anybody. So... It's all your fault. And here's why it was really bad, is we were behind this slow driver. Seriously, somebody had like three couches. Who moves couches on Saturday, right? My kid has basketball practice, right? These are the things that you think about. I'm a sinner, okay? So I'm behind this car, and I'm with my son, and he begins to tell me that the coach said, and I didn't know this before, that anybody who shows up late is going to have to run laps. Right? Well, you could have told me that before I offered to drive you, right? Because then it would have been mom's fault. Not me. No, it would not have been because mom would not have been late. Let me, let me be clear. Mom is in this church service. Mom would not have been late. And so we're driving, and I said, Jake, I will come in, and I will tell your coach that the reason you're late, it's, and it's the honest truth, it's because I didn't leave the house on time. So I'm going to tell him. And, and Jake said, no, 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 that's okay. I think now looking back, he didn't want me to embarrass him. But I walked in. And the coach met us at the door, and I said, Coach, I'm so sorry. I know he's late, and it's all my fault. And the coach smiled at me, and he said, It's okay, Mr. DeGroote. He's still going to have to run. <laughs> Why are you clapping? That's not how I felt. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, I know. <laughs> and maybe worthless is a strong way of describing how I felt, and I'm so glad you're laughing because you're helping me right now, because in that moment, I felt like a failure as a dad. I really did. I beat myself up as I was driving home and thought about the fact that my failure to get out of the house on time meant that my son was going to have to pay for my mistake, and there was nothing I could do about it. And then I sat down at home and I finished my sermon and I read the story and I'm like, oh my goodness, the roles are reversed, but it's the same dynamic, isn't it? Here's this younger son who's gone off and he's done all these things and the father is the one that's going to have to pay for it. 
He's the one who has to pay for everything that has been lost. And in this moment of sober clarity, just like mine as I'm driving away from practice, this younger son begins to see exactly what's taken place. Take a look at the next verse. When he came to his senses, the younger son said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. See, I'm not making this up. He says, I'm worthless. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. At this point, one coin is worth more than the net worth that this man brings back to his dad. One sheep is worth more than the net worth that this son brings because at least a sheep makes his father money. At least the sheep doesn't ask for his inheritance and spend it on booze and prostitutes. I'll bet a sheep could even get his son to basketball practice on time better than I can. A sheep does all those things. But we've been there, haven't we? We've been there where we feel worthless. This young man feels so worthless that he doesn't even believe that he feels that he's worthy to be called his father's son. And he's not wrong if you look at Proverbs 20, right? He deserves to be snuffed out. But he has nowhere else to turn. And so he goes back to the only place he can, and he thinks, man, maybe if my dad offers me a job. Tim Keller has this idea in his book, The Prodigal God, really good book. I always recommend it when we read this story. He, he has this idea that maybe, maybe if I could be a servant, maybe I could save my money, and maybe I could make payments back to my father, and I could pay back some of the cost that I've cost him. Maybe then I wouldn't be quite so worthless. And, and I thought the same thing, actually, when I was driving away from the practice that I dropped my son off late to. I, I actually, for a split second, I'm glad I didn't think it at the time that I dropped him off. I thought, man, I should have told the coach that I would run. Don't you think he would have been embarrassed if he saw his father? Oh, that's my dad. Yeah, he's late. Yeah, now he's running in practice. Like, how I'm so glad I didn't think of it. But there was a split second where I'm like, could I just run the race? Could I just do the lap? Because it's my fault. I should have to pay for it. But, but, but here's the thing. This, this son... He can't pay back the father. He can't pay back the enormous amount of money that he has taken away, not to mention the intangible cost on him and his family. He could work as a servant for the rest of his life, and it still wouldn't be enough, and yet it's the best he has to offer. And so he brings it home, and he's about to say all of these things, verse 20. He walks up to the house, and it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why did his father see him? because he was watching for him. Every day he woke up and he looked down the path and said, is my son going to come home today? Every single day. And so when he was a long way off, the father saw the son and he was filled with, what's the word? Compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around his son. He kissed his son. And this story blows all the other stories away because that's not how people react to a lost sheep or a lost coin. Nobody runs from a long distance to their sheep and kisses them. I asked Gary at the last service, they bite. You don't kiss your sheep. Bring it back. Don't kiss it. 
you will regret it. And that's what the father does to his son. And the son has his speech ready, right? He's still overwhelmed. It's just like us when we're feeling worthless and we come back and we think we've got to explain our way out of it. And, and he's got to tell his dad, I've got to tell you what I think. I've got to tell you that I'm not worthy. I've got to tell you all of these things. And so he gets into it. Verse 21, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupts his son. And he says to the people around him, he says, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. And the truth is, Heaven doesn't throw parties for lost coins or lost sheep. God smiles when you find 120 bucks in the cushions of your couch, I'm sure. But there's no party in heaven for that. But the angels, they bring out the good stuff when one sinner repents and comes home. And the reason why is because the definition of worth I'll say it again, is the value of something measured by its qualities or by the esteem in which it is held. And in the eyes of God, the esteem in which he holds you and me is the same as that that the father holds his son. His value is not in what he costs. His value is in the father's love. That's what makes him worth something. And love is the one quality that the son didn't take into account when he thought about coming back home. And friends, it breaks my heart because chances are, neither do you when you're feeling worthless. When I'm feeling worthless, how often are we not reminded of how much we're loved? Loved by others around you, I hope, but also especially loved by God. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is what makes someone worth something. Love is what makes someone worth everything. It's what made my children worth something when I held them in my hands as, as, as little infants little financial liabilities, <laughs> right? You don't care. You're laughing, right? Because it's life, because there's love. I think about, like, at the first service, right, we're more formal about it, right? I hope you do the same thing here, though, where you come before God and you confess your sins. And I imagine the Father saying to us, just like he says to the Son, he stops you in the middle of it and says, quick, remind him that he's a son, Quick, remind him that he can come home. Quick, 1 John 4.10, we studied this a couple weeks ago. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus came to save you before you even knew you needed to be saved. Jesus decided to love you. The Father 
decided that he would go after you before you even offended the Father and left in the first place. Why? Because he loves us. And if you and I can relate to looking for a $120 coin or a $300 sheep, how much more do you think that the God of the entire universe is willing and able to look for you and when he finds you, to bring you back home? And it's not because your worth is in what you can do for God. It is in God's love for you. Amen? Amen. And because of that love... God is willing to pay the price for the lost inheritance. It's not lost on me, and it shouldn't be lost on you, what the younger son has cost. I I don't want to discount the cost, but that's the cost that Jesus paid on the cross, and he paid it willingly, and he would pay it again because he loves us. And that's the part that the older son doesn't get yet, does he? See, there's two sons, and, and, and the older son doesn't attend the party yet, even though the father wants him there too. Look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, and so his father went out and pleaded with him, just like Jesus ate with Pharisees and sinners. He wants them all to come in, right? And so he sends, the, the father goes out, and he pleads with the older son, and the older son answers his father and says, look. All these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? And the father looks at the older son as if to say to him, I want you to have the same thing that I want for your younger brother. I want you to also see that your worth is not in what you do for me. It is in who you are to me. You as well are my son. And I love you. And he says this. Look at it. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours because of who you are. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Friends, heaven doesn't throw a party over found coins and long lost sheep, but angels flood the streets of gold over found sons and daughters. And and you've heard the cliche statement, right? You've heard this one that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Ever heard that? I want to add something to it today, and this is what I'll leave you with. If you want to make God cry tears of joy, it's a lot simpler. Just come home. Just come home. You are of infinite worth. So stop trying to earn it. Don't squander it either. Just come home. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it can be so hard to come home. We hear these voices inside of our heads, and and sometimes we hear these voices outside of us as well, voices that tell us that we're not worthy, that we are not enough, that we haven't been enough, that we haven't done enough. We beat ourselves up, not unlike the way in which I beat myself up as I drove away from that basketball practice with my son. 
we so quickly forget that in the eyes of the God who has created us, our infinite value and worth does not come from what we have done or could possibly ever do for him. It comes from who we are. We are his. And the definition of sin is, is every moment as we are born into this curse that, that, that draws us away from that truth where we forget that we are his and we think that we're, we're our own or we think we're somebody else's and we're not. And so we go off. We make mistakes. But heaven is a banquet. And the good shepherd has come. And the angels rejoice. When one sinner comes back, when one sheep that's gone astray comes home, your message to us today, as the message was to the younger son, is just come home. After the first service, I, I couldn't help but be moved as I talked with those who were leaving that in Jesus' day, a lost coin made sense. Everybody's lost a coin. We get it. A lost sheep made sense. There were a lot of farmers standing around. We understand that too. There's farmers in this room that get it. And I know, and I know that it was true earlier this morning, there are also parents in this room who are praying for their sons and daughters to just come home. There are sons and daughters in this room who are, who are believing the lie that they can't go back home. And then there are those of us that we don't even know what home is. And so for all of us, the common denominator, the gospel of grace, no matter what season in life we are in, is to be reminded that by being your son and your daughter, which is what you accomplished when you sent the good shepherd to take us, to find us, and to bring us home, means that our home is ultimately found in no other place, but it is found in you. Heaven is our home. You are our home. And you welcome us to come home. First service, we sang, Lift High the Cross. An old hymn that reminds us to lift high the cost that Jesus paid to bring us home. It's a cost that as we open up our eyes, we are reminded every Sunday that we come to this table. I want you to imagine, maybe from here on out, that every time you come up to the altar, you're coming home. 